Welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast, where you can listen to our lead pastor, Bishop Rich Jividen, deliver an inspiring and thought-provoking message. Tune in now to experience the power of God's Word and gain valuable insights into living a godly life. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Exodus, the third chapter. And we are going to be starting in the first verse. And this evening, I want to talk along the theme, the purpose of an exodus. The purpose of an exodus. God just began to kind of well something up on the inside of me. When Pastor Rich began to talk to me about coming over here, he began to kind of speak some stuff to me that I feel like is relevant to some of the hearts and lives that are in this place. And so I want you to just take hold of this and and digest it and allow God to begin to speak to you through it. Amen? So Exodus, the third chapter, starting in the first verse, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. I want to make one quick observation. When he seen that the fire was not consuming the bush, he turned and looked and it got his attention. Amen. And then it was at the moment that he directed his attention to what shouldn't have been happening that God spoke to him. Never underestimate what God is trying to speak to you through. Amen? Because there's going to be times in your life when things happen that don't seem like they make sense. And immediately we want to write it off and say, well, that's the enemy coming against my mind or that's the devil trying to get at me. And it could be a moment where God is trying to see, are we willing to stop and look? Amen. So I just, in that moment, God just kind of spoke that to me, and I wanted to, to, to kind of get on that. So verse uh, 4, it says, And he turned, and, and, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Why didn't it because God is the God of the bad version of you as much as he is the God of the good version of you. Amen? So I, every time I see that in scripture, that pops out to me because I said, you changed his name, God. Why are you calling him by an old name? He said, because I'm still as powerful as a God in you when you're in your mess than I am when I brought you to a place of, of blessing. Amen. So he says, I am the, I am the God of thy father, um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, a large and un." 
and a large and unto a land flowing with milk and honey and unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzites and the Hevites and Jebusites and all the ites that were out there. Uh, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And we're going to stop there for right now. Another thing that we can look at is he heard their cry. Sometimes we don't see the hand of God move because we have not cried yet. Sometimes we don't see his intervention into our life because we've not cried out to him. And he's waiting patiently for an invitation to come in and begin to fix our issue. As long as we are comfortable with what is going on, we remain in that same place. Amen. And I believe that God is trying to take us to a place where he says, this old version of your Christian walk is dead. This old version of, of just getting by, coming to church on Wednesdays, coming to church on Sundays, and, and you know, being faithful and all those things. There's going to be something that is going to happen this evening on the inside of you that is going to begin to stir. And you're not going to be satisfied with what you've been satisfied in the past. Amen? He's trying to call you out from a place where you were uh, not necessarily oppressed, but a place where you were complacent and comfortable. Because God has something for this body of believers, for Oasis World Outreach. He has something here for this place. And the only way that that's going to happen is if we cry out. Amen? Do you believe that? Look at your neighbor say, cry out. So I want to talk a little bit about what is an exodus. An exodus is a mass departure of people. Actually, in the, in the dictionary, it goes back and it talks about the children of Israel leaving Egypt as part of the way to explain what an exodus was. So I thought that was kind of cool. But an exodus is a mass departure of people. The children of Israel had been in captivity for 400 years. And every day they were faced into um, or were forced into hard labor uh, with no reprieve. They woke up. They went out. They've seen their taskmaster, and he would tell them, this is what you have to do today. Don't come to me until your job is done. And they would work hard all day, and they would go home, and then they would repeat the exact same thing the next day. This is 400 years. All this time, year after year after year after year after year, doing the same thing over and over and feeling oppressed but not knowing to, what to do. They just, they just continued to work. They just continued to do what it was that they were told to do for fear that if they did something else that, that it might cost them their life. And it very well could have in that time. But a lot of times we get stuck in these repetitious behaviors and we, we do church because we understand the lingo. We understand how to carry ourselves. We understand how to look like we got everything together. But uh, my challenge to you is, is there a fire on the inside that's burning? Is there something deep on the inside that is not satisfied with just church as normal? It's very easy for the enemy to come in and begin to rock us to sleep and get us accustomed to just coming to church and sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair and doing what it is that we know to do. But God is calling for something more. Amen? 
So I want to I want to continue to look at this. They they woke up every day. They continued to do the same thing. They had no freedom. They could not call out sick. They couldn't skip a day. Uh, they were forced to work uh, by those that were over them. At some point, it had to become normality to the children of Israel. After some time, uh, there would be generations born who only knew life in captivity. Because they had seen the same thing over and over and over and over again. And what I have seen in my experience is that uh, I've seen churches that have done the same thing over and over and over again. Because one person said this is exactly what the model is. Do not deviate. Do not change. Do not do anything. And they get stuck in that particular way of doing things. And what happens is you begin to do these cycles in, in uh, the life of your church. And what happens is there's generations that are grown up in there and they get stuck in those same things now there are certain absolutes the word of God following the word of God to every aspect that's in there that is that's an absolute we don't deviate from that but God is calling us to do some things different. We're in a different time. We're in a different season. The world is more wicked than it's ever been. And it's going to require a bolder faith, I believe. Amen? Would you agree with that? It's going to require a bolder faith so that when we begin to speak out about who God has called us to be and who God is to others, we don't have to worry. Now, people are going to come back and say things and, and uh, we'll try to cancel you, I think is the famous word that's out there right now. We're not going to deal with you because you believe in God. I, that's okay. <laughs> I would rather answer to him than answer to you. Amen. It's going to require something different than what we've done over and over and over again. Because there's people that are lost and dying because they don't know the truth. Because we are mindlessly working on what we've always known to do. Amen. And so God is calling for an exodus from his people. When we get comfortable with our bondage, we're in danger of never seeing our promised land. They could not serve their God because they were being forced to serve Pharaoh. The text says that God heard the cries of his children and decided to intervene on their behalf. He shows up in a burning bush out in the wilderness. The burning or the bush got the attention of Moses because it was on fire but not consumed. He approached it and God said, take off your shoes. And I got thinking about that, man. All of this stuff, when we're looking at this, Moses walks up and he sees something that shouldn't be happening. It gets his attention. And then as he's walking up, he hears a voice out of the bush that says, take off your shoes. Don't come any further. You're on holy ground. That would scare me. That would terrify me. And yet he proceeded. He walked up and, and listened to what God had to say. So then I said, okay, God, why Moses? Moses had already fled Egypt after killing a, one of the taskmasters and he was hiding he was in hiding, and he probably did not ever want to go back to Egypt again for fear of being caught. So, God, why would you take someone like this guy and say, you now have to go be the voice, and you have to tell Pharaoh to let my people go? And then I got to thinking about the time that he was born, and his mother put him in that little basket and put him out in the river. The fact that he didn't get killed or eaten by something is amazing to me in that moment. And Pharaoh's daughter sees him, picks him up. And his sister says, I know a woman that can nurse him. So his own mother got to nurse him and raise him and then brought him back. And I said, okay, God, I said, hear, hear this Israelite, get saved. You've already said there's been a miraculous thing that happens here. 
But why did he wind up where he wound up in Pharaoh's house? The very house of the bad guy that he was going to have to face down the road. Why did he wind up there? And God began to kind of speak to me. He said, you can't learn how to be a leader if you have a slave mentality. I was like, man, that's a good point, God. Not that Pharaoh was a holy leader, not that he was a righteous leader, but he led a nation. And the mindset in Moses' mind had to be that I got, I got a little leverage over some of these people out here because I'm living in the, in the palace with Pharaoh. I, I, I have a nice room. I, I, I have the accommodations. And he, he probably walked around thinking of himself as something maybe a little bit better than those that he was related to. And then he gets out amongst his people and there's something that begins to draw him in about that. I can relate to these people. And they had to be thinking, you're up in the palace. What are you doing trying to relate to us down here? So there was already struggle inside of Moses. There was already struggle between probably Moses and those that were there. There was struggle all the way around. And God said, I'm using you. On paper, God, you probably could have found somebody a whole lot better. You're standing there talking to a bush that's on fire that's not being consumed. And you're telling it that you're not capable of talking on God's behalf. I can't talk. I'm not eloquent of speech. I, I can't. Do you understand there's a bush that's burning and it's, it's not being consumed by the fire? If he can do that, don't you think that fixing your speech is not going to be an issue for him? And yet Moses continues. And finally, God just gets frustrated. And he said, I'll send Aaron with you. He even shows him signs. He shows him things. He's, he's, he's trying to get Moses on board with all of this. He keeps choosing Moses even after everything that should make him turn away from him. And we know who Moses went on to be and how he faced Pharaoh and he would stand up and he would begin to say, let my people go. And he would declare what the next plague was that was going to come upon him because uh, Pharaoh had hardened his heart. So God called Moses. He equipped him. And he used him to deliver his children. So what's the purpose of the exodus? God will use an exodus to shake his children out of complacency. It's easy to get comfortable in bondage because it takes away your ability to choose. When you have a choice, can you still serve him? That's the, that's, that's the thing. That's, why do you think that God gives you the choice to serve him? Why do you think it means so much when you say, I want you to be my Lord and Savior? It's because I made a choice and I had all these other options, but I chose you. I kind of associate it to when, when a guy gets down on one knee and he reaches that ring up and says, will you be my wife? In that moment, no other woman in the world means anything to them. It is, will you be mine forever? This is the same thing that we do when we accept God. Will you take me? I got some junk. I messed up. But will you take me? And we're just reaching out to him, and he's reaching, and he's like, come on. You are mine. You've always been mine. You're my bride. And so it is, it's in those moments that we begin to choose him that makes a difference. That's, that's the whole reason why when I begin to sing and worship, it's, there's something on the inside of it because I made that choice. And there's times when I'll look over at my wife and still get the butterflies in my stomach and everything. She'll say, oh, I don't believe that for a second. But I can look at her and say, this is the person that I got to marry. 
I don't know what she was thinking, but I'll take it. <laughs> People look at, I'll show, I'll show the guys at my job. I said, this is my wife. And I'll show them a picture and they said, that ain't your wife. I said, I'm telling you, this is my wife. Well, why is she with you? I said, do you not see this specimen right here? She's the lucky one. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> but it's that moment of choosing and forsaking all others that makes it so precious to God. Amen. So God will use an exodus to shake us out of our comfort. There were a few in Israel who remembered who their God was, and they began to cry out. I got to thinking about that. I said, some of these people probably didn't even know who their God was. They had heard stories about it, but there were some that were still there that had been there through everything. And, and as they began to, to look at who God was, they began to remember, or maybe they had a parent that just spoke so profoundly into their lives and said, this is our God. Let me tell you what our God has done. And they begin to develop that, that faith in who he is. And so those people begin to cry out. Those were the ones that began to cry out, not the ones that had, had not experienced him, not the ones that had, did not have a heritage of knowing who he was. It was the ones that knew that there was something that he could do about what was going on in their life. Never underestimate the, the power that comes from your prayer. Never underestimate the heritage that comes from those that have gone before us, those that are a little more senior in the faith that have spent time on their face praying for the very days that we're walking in right now. Never underestimate the, the validity in that because there's so much power in that. I can remember being woke up in the middle of the night hearing my mom and dad praying and going in, just feeling the presence of God fill my house. And it, it began to teach me something that every time that something come against them, they joined together, they grabbed hands and they began to take authority over the enemy. And it taught me how to stand in my faith. So when the enemy would come against me, I would begin to do the exact same thing. Why? Because it was something that had been taught down from generation to generation to generations. And my children have seen me and April do the same thing. Why? Because it's effective and it works. This is what we're losing sight of, I believe, is that pouring in from generation to generation to generation. It can't be an option. It is something that we, are, we have to ingrain in the hearts and the lives of our family so that they understand the importance of it. Amen? Our walk is not nonchalant. It's not easy going. There's, there's so much that we need to be doing. Amen? So there's a few in Israel who remembered and they begin to cry out. And God will raise up intercessors who will cry out for a generation until they see God move. I, I, every revival started with prayer. Every revival. Sometimes it's just two little ladies would meet up in a room and they begin to pray and they begin to intercede and they said, God, we need a move. We need you to come and do something in this place. We need you to be, we, we need to get the heart of God again. We need to attach our heart to him. I can hear everything that you need me to hear so that I can take that to those who are lost and dying. But it all starts with crying out. If you want to see a move, cry out. You know where revival starts? With death. You can't revive something that's alive. There's something inside of us that has to die. There's something that we have not fully given over to him. There's something that we have kept maybe back in the back corner and said, well, this ain't that big of a deal because nobody knows about it. But there's something in there that we have given um, the ability to have control over us. And God's saying, when you kill that, 
when you lay that on the altar and I smell the incense of that burning on my altar, then I know that I have your heart. In Ezekiel, he, he talked in rooms that, that, that people didn't know about and, and it had been engraved. So it took time to put those things in there. And I believe that there's times in our life where we have things that have been ingrained in our heart. And, and when she was talking about strongholds, when she was leading worship, tearing down strongholds, stronghold is a lie that you believed and you built an identity off of. That's what a stronghold is. So when the enemy can tell you a lie and you begin to believe that, I'm never going to be anything. I'm never going to be able to walk this out. I'm never going to be able to accomplish what God's... If he can get you so backwards and so fearful that you can't step out into what God's called you to do, then he's won. That's why we have to know truth. That's why we have to feed ourselves with the word of God because it begins to reveal in us what God is trying to speak to us. Amen? So those things that we've engraved may be wrong. God said, you have to give that. That thing that you run to when people reject you, you got to give that. Because you know who you're supposed to run to? Me. Anything you go to to solve your issues other than him is an idol. That's the way that it works. Because he is supreme. So we go to him no matter what. No matter what we're facing, we go to him. Amen? Okay. Sorry, that was a little rabbit, rabbit trail. I won't charge y'all for that one, though. <laughs> um, we are ha we're, we're currently living in a world that has taskmasters. Uh, uh, that's a hard word to say. Taskmasters, there we go, of hate and division and fear and sexual immorality. There's, those things are driving forces right now. They're causing division. They're causing problems. They're trying to, to, to make it seem like if we have a conversation and we disagree that I hate you, and that's not the case. But if they can drive these things, it's almost like they're sending people, this is what we do, this is what I've always done, and we get stuck in that mindset. Do you understand that God is love? And if we don't portray love above everything, then we're not doing it God's way. It is all about the love of God. Now, we speak truth in love. And that has a better effect. And every day they force their slaves to build their kingdom. And they give um, the impression that there is, he can't intimidate you no more. You can't touch me when I have God right here. I got, uh, there was a scripture I read, and I may have even mentioned this last time, I don't know. Um, if God, me, if God's before me, if I'm here and God is in front of me, who's going to get around him? If he is in front, if he before me, if he's in front of me, and I, I do believe the child, I'm a big guy. And if they tried to come and harm my child, there's no way they're going to get past me to get to my child. How much draws into a place of relationship with him? And we have to get out of that mindset, those mindsets that we've had in the past and those strongholds that have been built because he's pulling us into a place where he can begin to do something different. Amen? Okay, God hit... Uh, Egypt with all the plagues after him. Sometimes God will put you in a crisis to uncover different attributes about himself. He'll put you in a place. It seems almost mean that God gets them out of Egypt and then he hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I said, God, why would, why would you do it that way? 
He said, be, because if I can put them in a place where, what do you think is going to happen when they look over their shoulder and they see the Egyptians coming and the Red Sea is in front of them and they have no other option, they're going to begin to cry out and they begin to cry out to God in that moment. He'll put us in a place where it seems like it is impossible. When he puts us in that place, then he waits for us to cry out to him because it shows us who he is. I guarantee you that the children of Israel never thought in a million years that he would split the Red Sea and not only split the Red Sea walking through was on dry ground because if it had been muddy and mucky, then who knows, the, the Egyptians may have been able to catch up to them and overtake them. But God gave them clear passage. And then what does he do? He lets them get all the way to the other side and he closes it and consumes all of their enemies. One, to destroy the enemies. The Bible says the enemies that you see, you will never see again. So when we get on the other side of our exodus, those things that are dead, they're going to be washed over because God is closing that up. I, I remind the enemy every time he tries to remind me of my issues in the past. And you used to be this and you used to be that. And he begins to try to point those things out. I said, that man is dead. You've came to the wrong house. That man got drowned in Williams Creek up at the ramp. So if you want to, uh, that's of your own volition and you got to deal with the consequence. But I said that because in that moment, I was a pastor's kid. I was an associate pastor when this happened. I was a, I'm here with kids, you know, <laughs> I should have already done this. I'm a, and I had, but there was a significant moment for me. Peace. That the Bible says I would never see again or would never have a hand on me again. They didn't. You know why? Because they, that man was dead. They were looking for the wrong person. And we have to get to the place where we allow our enemies to die and leave them dead. The, the second part of the reason why he closed that is to close off access back to Egypt. Because we all know the children of Israel, they get in there a little bit and they say, we're hungry. What's about that? But they still, it's the children of Israel. And so they get to the place where they say, well, we, we even had leeks and onions back in Egypt. They begin to reminisce back of their bondage place that they were. God will close the door because he understands that if you walk back, you're going to be worse off than you were before. So he'll say, if you walk through this, if you walk through the miracle, bondage, you're crazy. So that's the twofold part of that. Amen? We're almost done, I promise you. The Exodus. God always has a plan and a purpose for your life. He had to deliver you out of Egypt, create a, a miraculous way of escape, but most milk and honey for you. He wants a land that is plentiful. He wants you not to have to be overwhelmed with emotional issues and pain. I wish I could explain to you, I can't even, it's hard for me to even talk about who I was before because there's so much peace and freedom in who that I am now. It's, it's, I, I'm kicking myself for not doing it sooner. Now, I, I went to church and I felt different because I reeked of arrogance back then too. And now I'm at a place where, God, if I don't ever sing on a stage again, I think today what God is speaking to our hearts, have we been complacent? Is there anything that has kept us in a cycle. I'll tell you how much to read a day. Because when you get into his word and you begin to, to, to read through the scriptures, God will make you hungry for it. You're going to get to the place where you're like, oh, I got to read another thing in this moment.
thank God that we have these apps now and it can read it while I'm driving on my way to where I got to go. But there has to, and not saying what it has been in the past has not been effective because it obviously has. It's going to be contingent on your ability to connect with who he is and what he's doing in that season. So God's going to push you, beat him up over it, take the time and say, God, is there something I should be learning? Get real mad and immediately attack her back. I say, oh, yeah? Well, I think you need to do this. Here we come say, you know, I just feel like we need to start looking at this in your life. It would cause me to reflect. And I would say, okay, God, there is some truth to what she's saying. I'm so. Then I would venture to say, you might still be in Egypt. Thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message helped encourage you. Please join us again next time and have a blessed day.